Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always this late at night is my producer, Kevin Black. By the time you are hearing this, the NBA draft will have concluded. By the time I'm recording this, the NBA draft is still going on. I just got done with some of my hosting duties over on the No Ceilings live stream on our YouTube channel. If any of you did get the chance to watch that live stream, I sincerely thank you for stopping by. I double thank you if you chose to stop by as well as click on the link and you sign up for an NBA Top Shot account. Maybe you bought some Top Shot moments and you helped support everything that we're doing over at No Ceilings. Um, I sincerely thank you from the bottom of my heart, even though I'm losing my voice a little bit, was talking for quite a while over on the stream. I'm here because I have to do a reaction podcast of what just happened at the very least in the first round of the 2022 NBA draft. And boy, did it start off a little wild. So all along, we were spoon fed, drip fed. It was going to be Jabari Smith to the Orlando Magic. Then Chet Holmgren to the Oklahoma City Thunder. That part did happen. And then Paolo Bencaro to the Houston Rockets. That was going to be the one through three order. And then over the last 48 hours, I want to say, some of the Vegas odds were shifting. They were shifting in Paolo's favor to jump up and potentially go number one overall. Then his odds actually did pass Chet to be more in line with Jabari Smith to go number one overall of the Magic. And then we get to draft night and we're all watching the stream. I'm backstage with some of my no ceilings cohorts. We're all still kind of talking in our group chats, despite some of us being on the pre-draft show. And Tyler Rucker messages all of us in the chat. And he goes, is this actually going to happen? And ladies and gentlemen, it did happen. Paolo Bencaro ended up going number one overall for the Orlando Magic, where if you've been following the Draft Deeper podcast, if you've listened to not only content that I've done and talking with other people, but you've also listened to content that I've done specifically with Corey Tullaba this past week over at the Draft Act NBA podcast, one of the podcasts on the No Ceilings NBA podcast network, you know I thought that Paolo Bencaro was actually the best fit for the Orlando Magic out of the top three prospects. And the reason why I said that was because it was really twofold. Number one, they don't have a number one offensive option on that team right now who can do the things that Paolo Bencaro can do at his 6'10 size when we talk about dribble, pass, shoot, and then that takeover scoring ability at his size on the wing slash at the forward spot. They have nobody else in the roster who can do things at the level that he potentially can. Apologies to Franz Wagner. He's going to be an excellent player for Orlando moving forward. Certainly outplayed all of my expectations in his rookie year, but he is not, he's not the same level of creator that Powell is, both for himself as well as for others. He doesn't have the same slick handle. He doesn't have the same mid-range scoring ability. He doesn't have all the post-up stuff. He's not the same offensive threat. So getting a number one option like Powell and Caro at this point in the draft with number one overall pick, who, oh, by the way, every bit of scrutiny we want to give him for what he doesn't do apparently on the defensive end he has all of the pieces around him to help him on that end of the floor even if Mo is gone you have Wendell Carter you have Wagner who I just talked about who was a good to potentially great defender at his 3-4 position you have Markel Fultz in the backcourt who is one of the better guard defenders in the league 6-4 but he has that 6-10 wingspan very active forces turnovers 
And Jalen Suggs still has an on-ball reality to where he could be a Drew Holiday type of defender in the backcourt. There are enough pieces around Paolo to where he can learn over time how to defend with those guys. He can fit in, build that chemistry with his teammates, and essentially get better from a team standpoint on that end of the floor while fitting in perfectly offensively, giving them something that they don't have. I love that Orlando took the home run swing on that pick that they took Paolo. I'm, I'm actually really proud of, of the Orlando front office for doing that. Then we get to number two, and I'll spend, I'll, I'll spend most of the time towards the top of the draft here. We'll, we'll cover a few things that surprise me as we get later in this podcast. But then we go to Chet Holmgren, number two overall, the Oklahoma City Thunder. I've talked about Chet's fit on numerous fronts. I thought it was a great fit for Sam Presti and the rest of the Thunder. He gives them that rim protection, that rim deterrent that they don't quite have in the front court right now while still being an excellent transition player, somebody who can handle the basketball on the move. He can run up the court with Josh Giddy, can get fed the ball from both Giddy as well as SGA to the spots that he either needs them from to finish around the basket where he was a 70 plus percent incredibly high level finisher on twos in college basketball, as well as they will find ways to get him touches in different spots of the floor to where he can showcase some of that perimeter shot making and shot creating ability that he didn't quite get to do all of at Gonzaga. Yes, folks, I firmly believe he can be more than just a play finisher around the rim and a trailer three-point shooter. I believe there's more there to unlock to his offensive game, an underrated passer. I think he's going to fit in with some of the other pieces that they drafted tonight, as well as what they already have in the roster. And then we get the Jabari Smith with the Houston Rockets. That's a fit. I didn't, I didn't touch on that fit a ton on this podcast because just given everything we heard, I, I really didn't think it was going to happen. But when you just look at it, big picture, he makes a lot of sense for that front court, right? He, he's not a true dominant primary rim protector, but he's somebody who can help defend, help rotate, help block shots from the weak side and help cover ground that Alper and Shengun can't make up. His other long-term front court partner, at least that's how we believe the chips are going to fall. And then offensively, he spaces the floor for everybody else, for Jalen Green taking over some of, some of the primary opportunities, for KPJ still in the full of the point guard spot for the Rockets, for Ty Ty Washington, who they ended up getting later in the first round, who we will touch on a little bit later on this podcast episode. Jabari gets to space the floor and offer an elite catch-and-shoot option for all of those guys to focus on what they do best, which is penetrating, getting downhill, applying rim pressure, and then either kicking the ball out, scoring that ball, getting into the mid-range. He's not clogging up the paint or taking away opportunities from those other primary or secondary ball handlers on the roster. So from that standpoint of covering up some of the defensive holes that Alperin could have, as well as helping the other guys, the other young guys, be the best versions of themselves on offense. I love that fit for Jabari Smith for Houston. The Sacramento Kings did not trade away the fourth overall pick. They kept it, and they took Keegan Murray out of Iowa. They did not take Jay Nivey, who would have been the best player available on my board, who I said the Kings should just say, screw it. Just take the best guard available, regardless of the fit. Take Jay Nivey and figure the rest out later. They took Keegan Murray instead, who, I mean – in my opinion, that's technically not a bad pick because he fills a position of need for the team. Now they have another combo forward to go alongside Harrison Barnes and, and underneath Domanis Sabonis. He will fit in. He will play on both ends of the floor. He's a little bit of a quote-unquote safer pick with some Tobias 
Harris like offensive upside. I had him fifth overall on my board. So at the end of the day, it's not really too terrible of a swing. I like him. But then the Pistons get to take advantage of Ivy falling in this scenario, and they get to draft him at number five overall, the long-term backcourt partner with Kate Cunningham. Boy, do those two complement each other really well. For all that Kate Cunningham doesn't do on the offensive side of the ball, which is pressure the rim at an incredibly high level, that's all Jaden Ivy wants to do is get downhill, apply rim pressure, make things happen around the basket, get to that floater game, be able to drive and kick out of the pick and roll, and then when Kate Cunningham does have the ball in his hands, Jaden Ivey improved his catch and shoot three point shot enough in college to where I think he can be a threat from day one in the NBA. And he will continue to climb up the ranks and become more efficient with that shot as he continues to work hard and improve in the NBA. So that, that backcourt fit that gives Detroit, one of the more dynamic backcourts that we have in the league, maybe not in terms of athleticism between both guys, but in terms of what they bring, to an offense from a shot-making standpoint, from a rim pressure standpoint, and from a passing slash self-creation or creation for others, they they provide all those things in different ways, but they complement each other. And there is an abundance of offense from the backcourt on that roster. Now, I love what Detroit did with that pick. The Indiana Pacers, a lot of the intel was pointed to Benedict Mather being their guy for weeks now. They do take Mather with the sixth overall pick, as I talked about in the stream, an athletic wing. He can fill in off the ball. He's a great cutter, one of the best wing cutters we have in this draft class. We'll be able to play off Tyrese Halliburton, a catch-and-shoot guy, and shoot threes, can bring some transition offense. That's the type of player I think Indiana wanted to slot into that spot all the way along, which then brings us to the Portland Trailblazers at number seven. Shane Sharp, the mystery man of the draft. Probably the biggest reason why Portland brought in Mike Schmitz to help run that team in the first place. There is no better talent evaluator to make a pitch on Shane Sharp than somebody who's seen him up close more often than arguably anybody else in the draft space or in the front office right now. That would be Mike Schmitz. Bet on the talent. Take the best player available regardless of the age, regardless of the short-term outlook. Take the best player available to fit with the guys you have in the long-term outlook. And you can absolutely make an argument for multiple guys who are drafted below him. But at the end of the day, if that's what Portland believed and it was Shane Sharp, then you take your guy. You take your guy and you live with it. And they did that. They took Shane Sharp at number seven. I like the pick, which left Dyson Daniels, who we at No Ceilings were always projecting Dyson Daniels to go to the Portland Trailblazers. He falls. He goes to number eight. The New Orleans Pelicans, they pick up another wing slash guard defender, arguably the best one to three defender in this draft. He's a ball mover. He's a secondary creator. He can run some pick and roll offense for you. And at his size, at 6'7", near 6'8", you can compare some of the other wing slash guards who are available in the same range to Dyson Daniels. But at that size, with the gifts that he already has and what he could grow into on the offensive end, there is nobody else at that spot with the same upside. In my opinion, still left on the board than Dyson Daniel. So I think he was a great get at number eight. The Spurs took Jeremy Sohan at number nine. They did not go pure center, but they went with a guy who, as long as they get the right offensive-minded center to better complement what Suhan isn't doing right now in the NBA, I think it's a really good fit in the front court. He's that versatile potential one through five defender who every NBA team is looking for to play deeper into the playoffs. He's a ball mover. He's a passer. He even brought the ball before for Baylor at times, ran some pick and roll. He's going to give them a really nice piece to keep the ball moving and the offense flowing while being one of these awesome, awesome, versatile defenders. So 
Great pick for the Spurs if they find the right front court mate for him, which left Johnny Davis to fall to number 10 to the Washington Wizards. I know some people in those ceilings aren't completely happy with that Wizards fit for Johnny. However, he does make a lot of sense for the team. He will guard the guy that Bradley Beal cannot guard, at least or does not want to guard at this point in his career. He still has plenty of offensive upside, as we talked about in those ceilings. An underrated passer. I think he makes a lot of sense in the backcourt to play either next to Bradley Beal or whoever ends up supplanting him should Bradley Beal request a, a sign of trade and then he moves out of Washington. Then the Knicks, listen, I, I still have no idea what the hell the Knicks did. They, they, they moved out of this spot. They moved picks. They ended up trading for another guy who we'll talk about in a little bit, then flipping him to Detroit. The Knicks essentially removed themselves from the first round of what they did. They, they made a pick. We thought Usman Jang was going to go there. Albert had a little bit of a panic on the no ceiling stream. Then all the trade stuff came out. Usman Jang is actually going to the Oklahoma City Thunder, along with the 12th pick, Jalen Williams, out of Santa Clara. So really interesting what they did there with those two picks. They took an upside swing on a wing like Jang, and they took a quote-unquote safer wing bet and somebody like Jalen Williams, both guys who at their respective sizes, they keep the ball moving. They can be secondary playmakers. They can offer catch and shoot versatility. They can be movement shooters. They can stay in the corners. They can attack closeouts. I love the upside of the combination of these two, along with everything else they already have in the roster, a lineup, a, a strange, but fun, small ball lineup in theory of SGA, Giddy, Jalen Williams, Jang and Chet all on the court together. That appeals to me in so many different ways. I love what the Thunder did with, with filling out the wing spot with those two guys. Then Duran was a part of the Charlotte Hornets draft night coup until he ended up being flipped in a three-team deal that saw him go to Detroit. So he becomes another guy that Detroit gets to deploy. Not only do they have Kate Cunningham and Jay Nivey in there for the long term, now you also have Jalen Duran, a guy who – Listen, 18, 19 years old, could have been coming out of high school at this point and going into college next year, get reclassified, went to school early, went to Memphis, had an up and down year. But we know what the upside is. We know what the potential is. And he, more so than Isaiah Stewart, can offer more long-term offensive upside and be a better fit overall in the grand scheme of things for the Detroit Pistons. A great get by them to get value with somebody like Duran in, in multiple trades to get him in that deal. Then you go to Cleveland at number 14, Ochai Abaji out of Kansas. That was a pick that we all kind of wanted to mock, or we did mock at different points. He's a really good kid, really hard worker, tremendous standing. He will provide wing depth for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He can slide into that two guard spot, be a catch and shoot guy for that team. Makes a ton of sense fitting into everything that they're already building in Cleveland. And then at 15, the Charlotte Hornets got their big man. They got their guy, Mark Williams out of Duke. He was mocked to them for quite a lot of the pre-draft process. Ends up going to them, really athletic, 7-2, rim protector, rim finisher. Has a little bit of offensive upside, but really you know the type of hyper-efficient role that they're going to slot him into, and he makes a lot of sense as a lob throw next to LaMelo Ball. Then it gets a little bit interesting. I won't spend as much time analyzing some of these picks, but I will read through them. A.J. Griffin, big draft night slide, was a lottery pick for a lot of the process, was mocked as high as like seven or eight 
Some places even wanted to mock him as high as five or six. Ends up sliding all the way to 16. I had, I had heard earlier in the day that that was where some of the chips were going to fall, that he was trending towards sliding a little bit in that direction. You even saw that play out on some of the mock drafts. And lo and behold, those, those little bits of intel actually ended up proving true. He slides to the Hawks. The Hawks get tremendous value with the 16th overall pick. Tari Eason slides from where he was once projected at one point late lottery down to 17. The Houston Rockets get another really athletic forward slash wing to play alongside the rest of that Houston Rockets squad. I know I talked about it on the stream, Alper and Shane Boone and Jabari Smith. They're not really transition guys. So if you're going to have somebody else try and run the floor, fill the opposite corner with Jalen Green and transition, you've got Tari Eason to play that role. He can also go to the basket, make plays, finish the whole nine yards and provides plenty of athletic upside and defensive minded toughness to a team that's going to need it as they're young. They look to continue to improve on that other floor. They build forward. It's not just about getting to know one another, building that chemistry, playing with each other on defense. You also need guys who want to go play on that end of the floor. And so Tari Eason gives that for them. The Bulls get Dale and Terry, a awesome, awesome guard to fill out their quartet of Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, I have to assume Lou Knight or Dalen Terry in there, a guy who can slide up, maybe play a little bit on the wing, six, seven, tough as nails, can make plays on the ball defensively, can be a catch and shoot guy, hopefully in time, can do a little bit better around the basket, but can still get downhill and at least get to the basket. Um, really nice, interesting long-term piece for them. The Memphis Grizzlies trade up Inside the top 20, they swap with the Timberwolves. They end up, Timberwolves end up getting the 22 and the 29 picks, which were involved in, in later trades. But the Grizzlies move up, take Jake LaRavia at pick 19. Love that pick for Memphis. We talked about it on the stream. Just having these 6'8", six, 6'9", six, connectors, man, it really makes a world's difference in the playoffs. And it matters even more if those connector pieces aren't just moving the ball and keeping the offense flowing. If they can also, when the ball stops at them, if they can knock down catch and shoot shots, Jake Moravia, we all believe in those ceilings, can do that. So I love that fit there. The Spurs get tremendous value by my board at pick 20. They take Malachi Branham. He was 11th on my personal board. I talked about at number nine, a target for them could have been one of the wings who are better catch and shoot threats, like a Matherin or an AJ Griffin. They get that type of guy at pick 20 with Branham, who, listen, we got, if you have questions about the defense, fine. If you have questions about how much upside is there from a creation standpoint in terms of him playmaking and passing out of pick and roll in different secondary creator situations, the one thing you cannot deny, at least by the numbers of what we saw in the film, second half of the year at Ohio State, dude's the spot up king of the draft. He's going to knock down open shots. He's going to be a catch-and-shoot threat. He's going to help fill out the rest of that offense that San Antonio is building. At 21, the Nuggets get Christian Brown out of Kansas. You knew a playoff team was going to target Christian Brown, be it later in the first or even into the early to mid-second. You knew a playoff team was going to go after him for his defense, for his toughness, for his consistency on the wing, for his secondary playmaking ability, for his open catch-and-shoot shot. If it's going for him, that's really the type of value he's providing in a half court can be a lethal cutter as well, depending on the guards you have around him. Christian Brown at 21, some may consider it a reach for the Nuggets. I actually like the move for a team that's looking to contend in the playoffs. Then we, we know that picks 22 and 29 moved in that Jake LaRavia deal. So the Minnesota made the first of those two picks. They took Walker Kessler out of Auburn. Some people might question the Twin Towers fit for multiple reasons on the no ceilings uh, stream. 
Tyler Metcalf, our resident Timberwolves guy, actually came around to like it because of the offensive fit. He mans the paint. He patrols the paint. He can finish anything around the basket, can be a little bit of a lob guy, can even get into some post-up actions. There's some stuff defensively they'll have to iron out between him and Towns, but at least offensively when you have a floor spacer like Towns, makes a lot of sense to go grab a guy who we know can block shots. He's one of the best shot blockers in the country, can rebound. That's the type of guy I think that at one point in the draft or another, if they were going to make multiple picks, the Timberwolves are going to try and get one of the bigs at some point. So we see him go off the board. Surprise of the draft, in my opinion. It's real surprise, real shocker to me in the first round. The 76ers were on the clock at 23. They traded the pick to Memphis to go and, and Danny Green to go get DeAnthony Melton, who helps them in the backcourt a number of ways. I'm sure I will touch more on the Melton fit on different episodes of the Draft Deeper podcast in the offseason, maybe do a little bit of a Sixers preview. We'll talk about Melton, but then Memphis makes the pick at 23 and goes David Roddy, a guy who did not end up making my top 60 cut yet, nevertheless, is in the first round of the NBA draft. I know Chuck from Chuck and Darts, shout out to him. He called out David Roddy as one of his sleeper prospects very early on in the year, along with Tari Eason, and a true dart goes in the first round a guy who is one of the more unique physical prospects in the draft but we know that he can score and particularly shoot the piss out of the ball he will shoot the cover off the ball for the Memphis Grizzlies and when you have some of the versatile defensive pieces that they have already on the team if all you really need is just more catch and shoot guys not worrying about some of the secondary playmaking and backup point guard play which we will touch on a tad bit later before we part ways on this podcast they went and got David Roddy, one of the better shooters that they possibly viewed in this draft. They got their guy at 23, 24. The Bucks took Marjan Beauchamp. I gave my thoughts on Beauchamp on the stream. I love the fit for him. I love the fit for the Bucks. One of the better success stories that we have in this NBA draft. I think he's going to provide a playoff team tremendous value. Spurs take another guard at 25, Blake Wesley. I don't know what they're doing stacking up all these guards. In my opinion, personally, their backcourt was already a little bit log jammed to an extent on that, like that, that, that two, three spot on the guard slash wing. They take another one of those guys in Blake Wesley. They hope he could be a combo guard, a secondary initiator, a backup guard off the bench. We will see how Blake Wesley pans out for them in the future. And then wrapping up the last picks of the first round, Minnesota ended up trading the 29th pick in a deal that netted them the 26th pick, what ended up being Wendell Moore. So Wendell Moore ends up going to um, Minnesota. That's a good get for a playoff team. The Heat draft Nikola Jovic at 27. The Golden State Warriors keep getting richer. The one guy who, if you had questions about other parts of his game, the one part of his game that you likely didn't have questions about was the ability to shoot the cover off the ball. They get Patrick Baldwin Jr., who on that team, with all of those options with how loaded that roster is, he can provide value shooting the ball regardless. Really like that pick for Golden State. The Rockets ended up making a deal for the 29th selection. They are the ones who are going to get um, Ty Ty Washington, be able to sign him to a deal. That's a great backup guard sketch for the Houston Rockets. And then 30, the Denver Nuggets in a deal that was already made with Oklahoma City Thunder for that 30th pick. They take the first round swing on Peyton Watson. And that's how the drafts played out up to this point. Some interesting second round selections. Andrew Nembhard went 31st. The Indiana Pacers, they get a backup point guard. Um, Gabriel Pochita goes off the board for the Portland 
Trailblazers, who ended up swapping that pick out to the Detroit Pistons. The Lakers bought into the second round. They got Max Christie at pick 35. Jane Hardy went to the Kings at 37. EJ Liddell finally off the boards. We're recording this podcast to the New Orleans Pelicans. And the last pick that was made before I close out this podcast, the New York Knicks take Trevor Keels in the second round. That's where a lot of the chips have fallen. I will do more deeper analysis with Tyler Rucker on episodes of the podcast coming out next week, where we will give Eastern Conference team draft grades and Western Conference team draft grades. So we'll dive in a little deeper, but those are my initial reactions to what I saw through the 2022 NBA draft up to this point. Again, thank you all. Thank you everyone who listened to this podcast throughout the year, who has supported me and has helped me grow as a host, who's helped me grow as a draft analyst, analyst and a scout, who's helped this podcast grow to tremendous heights, heights that I did not think were possible to hit. Um, This early on in the podcast life cycle, we're probably going to be crossing the 100,000 download threshold by the end of the month here, if not very early on into July. We've been a top 50 or better on average podcast on the U.S. Apple podcast basketball charts over the last about month, month and a half. I, I didn't foresee this success, at least this early on when I first started the podcast. I'm just an average guy who wants to get better at scouting, who wants to work in this industry, who wants to do this for a living. I just want to talk about hoops with all you guys and the support that you've all shown myself as well as everybody I know ceilings. There's there's nothing I can ever do to repay each and every one of you who takes the time to listen to this podcast each and every week. I sincerely thank all of you as we wrap up the 2022 NBA draft cycle, there will be plenty more off-season content. I can't wait to maybe take some, some portions of the summer off from doing this podcast so that I can reinvest that time into thinking about different types of content to make next year, ways that I can improve as a podcast host. Trust me, we're, we're only getting started. There's plenty more to come next year. Kevin and I have already been talking. We're going to make improvements to this podcast, but until then... We will sign off for now. Thank you so much for listening and for all the support to the 2022 NBA draft cycle. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you for listening.